And now, live, it's time. Which team, by colors alone, is identifiable around the world? It's time for the JT the Brick Show. Which team, by slogan, commitment to excellence? On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Just win, baby. All those things are the Raiders. Here's your host, JT the Brick. JT, back with you. Perfect timing here. The Raiders on Twitter just put out the top 10 plays of the year. At number 10, remember when Hunter Renfro blew up the fake punt by the Chargers? He was back in the deep position. He saw the pass on the fake punt, and he came up and rocked the receiver there. That came in at number 10. So I'm looking at this now. I just downloaded it. If you go to Twitter, I'll retweet it right now at JT the Brick. Uh, Take a look at it. It's pretty cool. Uh, Something I wanted to talk about here. Goal line stands, big plays. Uh, they have the goal line stand where Max Crosby jumped over the pile and tackled Jalen Hurts as the Raiders beat Philadelphia at number nine. Really cool. Raiders social media is fantastic. If you're joining us late today for hour number two, we opened up the show with what's the priority of the new GM, whoever that is, whoever gets that job, what do you think is the number one thing he has to do first? Period. Evaluate the quarterback. Uh Go with a trade philosophy in the draft instead of taking the draft pick. Trade away a draft pick to go get a free agent or you know, just do what you think is best. I think the contracts for me were number one. The GM has to look at what's on the board, the players that the Raiders have, and with the new cap coming, evaluate who's going to stay or who's going to go. I thought Mike Mayock did a nice job with that, uh, bringing in backups who were pretty good. What do you do with Corey Littleton? What do you do with Perriman, who made the Pro Bowl? Obviously, you want to extend Max and extend Hunter Renfro. What do you do with the offensive line? Do you you bite the bullet and get rid of some offensive linemen who aren't working out? I don't know. It's going to be his job. The new GM has to have a firm and aggressive attitude when he comes in because it's a tough job for the new GM because the pressure is going to be on. He's a 10-win. This is a 10-win season. Most new GMs come in and head coaches and the team's won three or four games. You take over Jacksonville, you get the number one pick again, you go, all right, we got Trevor Lawrence, let's go get him this guy. And we're rebuilding. You go take over in New York for the Giants for Joe Judge, you're taking over a terrible team, a really bad roster. You take over New Orleans in the future or a team like that. You wonder, you say to yourself, well, I'm up against the cap, we got to get under the cap. To take over the Raider position for Mike Mayock, you have to look at Mike Mayock's philosophy of who they took, say that some of the players are good, other ones didn't live up to the hype, and you got to get rid of players and keep the ones that panned out. And how do you do it with the cap? And then what do you do and who do you target in free agency? It's going to be good because whoever this guy is, he's going to get introduced here pretty quickly. And on that first press conference, he's going to have to give us his vision to take a 10-win team to 12 wins. Good luck with that. I think he'll be able to do it because I'm optimistic the Raiders are going to get better and better. But that schedule is a beast, and there's some financial issues there. And will he want to be involved in the coaching process? You would assume so. So the Raiders have had a lot of interviews, more interviews, today and tomorrow at the GM position before they make that decision. And I'm excited about it. I think that's going to be the two big things that we're waiting for is the announcement of the head coach. If they retain Rich Passaccia as the head coach or go in another direction. And the GM, and where does that GM come from? The Patriots, the Colts, the Ravens. 
Who's the name? Is it a name? Is it a wild card name that we're not familiar with? You go to the Packers. Don't know. No one knows. I'm reading a lot here. I've got newspaper here in front of me. Everybody's guessing. Because no one knows. I'm saying that. It's fair. I'm guessing. Insiders are guessing. Nobody knows. No one's in those meetings with Mark Davis. And Mark Davis is trying to get a feel for these candidates and who's the best fit here in Las Vegas to lead the Raiders to the future. It is a pretty exciting offseason. We've got the Pro Bowl. And I'm not a big fan of the Pro Bowl game. But they're going to have the skills competition. It's going to be here in Vegas. It's going to look great. The NFL draft, if everything goes right with COVID, and I don't know, everything hasn't gone right with COVID. They canceled the draft in Vegas. They moved it to Cleveland last year. And we need some good news here in Vegas and get the positivity rate down so we can have an unbelievable draft and get close to a million people. Remember, Nashville had 600,000 fans. It's a tough number to beat, but the Raiders and the NFL have the ability to do that because of the strip and the fact that people want to come here. I think more so than Nashville, but Nashville's a pretty good destination place to go on a road trip. So we have that, and then there's a whole bunch of games, East-West Shrine game, college football, the kickoff next year. What a game that's going to be, LSU and USC. John Sassenti pulling that off? Oh, my God. Lincoln Riley versus Brian Kelly. UNLV football just got a quarterback, a highly rated quarterback that could hopefully help. Uh, we're pulling all every day, every chance I get. I'm pulling for Kevin Kruger. We haven't done a lot of UNLV content here for basketball, but uh, anything that we can do to help out Kevin Kruger on the radio or with charity work and his, the work they're doing with Lon, Coaches versus Cancer, you know we're big on that. Uh, I live by the Aviators ballpark, so I want them to do well. We're thrilled with the Golden Knights. I got good information on the Golden Knights now. Golden Knights, Jack Eichel's coming, and this is an all-star team that better figure out what's going on at the goaltender position. Robin Leonard is a good player. He is not Marc-Andre Fleury. Amazing if they could have brought back Fleury for one more year. They chose not to. They chose not to. And now the Golden Knights have got to click. And they got to start clicking. They got to get Pacioretty healthy. They got to get everybody at 100% and then make a big run at the postseason. And we're going to be all over that. Hopefully now I'll be able to go to a lot more games, especially on the weekends, and see the Golden Knights my hockey team. I'm pumped up for this to be the Stanley Cup run. We've been saying that for quite some time. So, again, if you want to jump in, Olden Polonese is going to join us here in a few minutes. I'm going to get to the Lakers, which is a huge story today. Lakers could fire their coach by the end of today or tomorrow. Frank Vogel is circling, and will he have anybody defending him in L.A.? He needs it quickly. A passionate Raider, thanks for waiting. You're up next. What's up, J.T.? Great, great topic today about a GM call. If I could be a GM, this would be the first move I would make. I'm going to come in before I hire my coach. I'm going to meet with every player individually, and I'm going to see where that player's mindset is moving forward from here on out. Because like you said, and everyone's called in and said, we've got a top-of-the-line facility. We've got a top-of-the-line training facility. We've got the best of everything, JT. You come to the playoffs, where do you want to play in the playoffs at home at the end of the year? you want to play in the cold, or do you want to play in Vegas in the warm? That's the biggest thing, this GM. If these guys ain't buying in to play for the Shield, then we're going to have to make some moves, get whatever we get in draft picks, and put this thing together. Because like the caller previously said, we're tired of losing. We're tired of it. And the only way we're going to get good players to come here and want to play is just win, baby. Just win. 
It doesn't matter if we've got the best. If we're not winning and putting something together to bring the best athletes to compete in the best facility, it's all a waste of time, and it was a waste of money. Just win, baby. Find out what players want to play. Go from there. Then you get the coach intact. Let's go, JT. That's the way I see it. They got the best of the best, man. They got it. Let's go. All right, appreciate that. Do you think uh, everybody in Raider Nation, do you think that passionate Raider should be at the Henderson facility greeting the new GM like the first guy should be there as passionate Raider when the doors open up at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center? Uh, he just gives that speech to the side, then he walks in. Everybody wants to be the GM. Everybody wants to be the coach. Everybody's got an answer. We're excited, passionate Raider. You love the team. Can't knock that at all. You love the team. You're there for the flagship station. We appreciate it. All right, quick backstory. As you know, some of you know I do a radio show every night, 7 to 10 p.m. year-round after this show. So five hours a day. And I live in a, a, a Laker household, but my sons aren't here. They're in college. And they love Kobe Bryant. They love the Lakers. I'm a Knicks fan. I couldn't get them to come over to my side. They love the Lakers. So I'm on the air last night, and as the game is developing – this Laker game starts about 7, 7.30. I start at 7. I said, the Lakers got to win this game because Frank Vogel is really struggling and LeBron needs to step up for him. So I thought the Lakers would win. At one point, they were up 15 points in the game. And then it started to fall apart. Here was me live last night on the radio, live, when the Lakers went into their tailspin down the stretch. Here's how it sounded. All right, we got a big developing story. Lakers are down. They blew it. They're down 101.96. They're down five with 235 to go in the game at the crypto, at the crypt. If they score here on a three, Sabonis for three. Good! Sabonis for three. It's good! You got to call a timeout if you're the Lakers. Oh, they're going to go with it. They're going to go coast to coast, and they get the layup here. Vogel. Could this be his last two minutes coaching the Lakers? Could it be his last two minutes? 104, 98. We're under two minutes to go at the crypt, at the crypto.com. Another pacer three. Good! It's good! It's good! I don't believe it. Is this the end? This is the end. <laughs> is this the end? LeBron for three. Air ball. Airball. Oh, no. This is why I love this channel. We're live. We don't slow down. We're live. 107.98. Frank Vogel's a good man. I don't want to see him fired. The buzzards are circling. The vultures are circling over the crypto.com. And that's the dagger. Another one goes in. The Lakers in an absolute free fall. Frank Vogel walking around like he's fired. With the worst body language, LeBron looking for a cheap, easy layup, an easy, dirty layup with no time left, no one defending. That's two points on the way to the all-time record. And the Pacers beat the Lakers 111-104. This is the first time the Pacers won on the road since November 22nd. My birthday's November 23rd. November 22nd, the Pacers haven't won on the road. And they did it in front of 17-plus thousand people with the coach's job on the line. I don't think Frank Vogel should be fired. But if you believe the media and the wolves are at the door, which is a term I use all the time, the wolves are at the door. The media is circling. And that's how it looks now.
So that was last night. And the Lakers literally literally collapsed in front of 17,000 fans to the Pacers. And the Pacers were 0-19 when trailing at that number in the fourth quarter, and they beat the Lakers. So after the game, Frank Vogel addressed the media, and he benched Russell Westbrook in that game. That was a big story. Frank, you um, opted to go uh, with Russ on the bench at the end of the game. What were you what, 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 were, what were you looking for there? What was the thinking behind that behind that choice? Yeah, playing the guys I thought were going to win the game. Oh, 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 if you're a Laker fan. How, how about that? Russell Westbrook's one of the all-time greats. I know he's flawed, but did you hear what Vogel said? This is a perennial all-star. He goes, I'm going with the guys I thought could win. Really? That's a ballsy comment from Frank Vogel, a world champion head coach 15 months ago. And he talked about the entire team and how everybody failed last night. A loss like this, like you said, to a sub-500 team, the responsibility falls on who? Coaches, players, everyone involved in this? Yeah, you answered the question. It's everyone. It's all of us. We got to coach player better. They got to play better. You know, everything has to be better. Got to execute the effort, focus. Um, everyone. Oh, and what about LeBron James? Is LeBron James going to step up and say anything important on this elephant in the room, which is the head coach? And what happened at the end of this game? Here's the king. I was curious if you guys had a reaction to, to that. I don't think we've seen that in a close game this year. And um, how was Russ after the game? Is that the sort of thing that bothers him? Um. <laughs> have you followed Russ throughout his career? <laughs> Not as close as you have, probably. Okay. Have you followed Russ throughout this season? Yeah. yeah. Uh, would you think that would bother Russ not being in a late game? Okay. Good answer. I mean, yeah, you should quote yourself. <laughs> yeah. You guys want to quote us all the time? Quote yourself. <laughs> all right. Thank you. I'm going to the movies with my wife, man. I gotta go. No. Wow, that is incredible. Even LeBron. Even LeBron. After this is crazy. He says he's going to the movies after the loss. He can. He's going to be a billionaire. Incredible. Olden Polonies. 15 years in the NBA, one of my favorite guests, the Fox Sport NBA analyst, a good friend of the show. Olden, thanks for coming on, and I just want to jump in quickly here and start this off. Vogel, you heard what Vogel said, what LeBron said. Is Vogel really fighting for his life? Shouldn't someone step up and save this man's job? Someone should, you know, a la uh, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook. Those are the three main guys. And so to me, it's unfortunate, but he is on the hot seat. And it's not his fault. The team, the way it's constructed, it, it's going to struggle. And even with LeBron James, but also the, the injury to Anthony Davis has hurt them tremendously. And so to me, you can't fire a coach because people are getting hurt. Now, what they should have been thinking about was even when they first got Anthony Davis, you know, he's had that track record of always getting injured. You could pretty much set your clock to it. And so, to me, that's the key factor. So, yeah, the main guys for the Lakers definitely, you know, if they want to, I don't think they're going to, but they should try to fight for this man's job. Olden, you've been around a lot of coaches on a lot of teams and played with some legendary players. When a, when a coach is circling the drain, and it's mostly the media, 
The media picks up on it now with social media, which is at times a toilet, and then talk radio, and on top of that, the debate shows. The debate shows are the worst at this because they need to take a side. Even if both of the debaters believe that Vogel's a good man and worthy of keeping his job, he won an NBA title 15 months ago, it stirs the pot. And as you said, LeBron can quiet this down. Doesn't all LeBron have to do? is hold the press conference and go, he's going nowhere, this is my guy, we're going to dig out of this, this is on me. Of course, and that's the point I was making. It, it's going to be on LeBron because Palenka can't really do it because, you know, people are going to be like, oh, that's the kiss of death. You know, whenever an owner or GM says the coach is safe, that means they're fired. <laughs> so, but if right. a player of, of LeBron's caliber comes out, or Anthony Davis, like I said, he's been hurt. Hey, you know, I've been hurt. So this is not about Frank Vogel. I think he's safe. And it's going to show management that the team is behind him. And so we, we can't fire him when our top players are in support. So they have to do that. But one thing you got to remember, JT, nine times out of ten, the media doesn't perpetuate this. Somebody on the inside leaks something. Yes. And that's how it starts. The great old Polonese joins us. When Joel, M- Joel Embiid gets 50 in 27 minutes, isn't it fair to say why he didn't play 34? Like, 50's great. You'd love to have 50. But when you can get 70 and the coach takes you out of a game, what do you think about that, Olden? Some of the great performances of all time, it's rare when you get up over 45 or 50. When you get there in 27 minutes, shouldn't your coach say, go make history, you're not going to catch Wilt and the franchise record at 100, but go for 60? But it's, that's a great point and great observation, and I've always wondered that. I thought this was about winning, winning. You know, it's not like, oh, well, we're going to win up to a point. If a guy is on fire, let him go. And it wasn't like the game was a 40-point blowout. I think they won by like 12 or 13. Mm -hmm. And so to me, you know, we've seen that in the past. Klay Thompson, you you know, we've seen Kobe, we've seen Steph, a bunch of guys who had a ton of points, and you take them out. And it always makes me wonder, how did Wilt Chamberlain get to 100? (laughs) (laughs) Were these coaches not coaching like that back then? Because it just blows my mind. How do you? How do you get to 100 at some point in time? You're going to be like, okay, I'm going to take them out. But they didn't. So it, it's it's absurd to me. And it, it's like, let the guys play, okay? I'm sick and tired of, you know, oh, it's the good sportsmanship. It, you know, we don't want to rub it in. Man, rub it in. Olden Polonese is our guest. So when you see on a night when Kyrie is on the road, So he's on the road Wednesday night. The Nets beat the Wizards in a great game. Great finish, 119-118. Kyrie goes for 30. Harden 18. On top of that, Durant's hurt and could be out a while. And you know he can't play at home. With the rhythm and all this, and he hasn't been motivated to get vaccinated, he's not even motivated to talk about it and get vaccinated with Durant out. With Durant out where they really need him. Olden, anything you want to add to this on what's evolved with Kyrie over the last couple of weeks since he's come back? Listen, Kyrie, I am so impressed with him because he's he's stuck to his guns, you know. And, you know, we had another gentleman, you know, uh, Andrew Wiggins. He, of course, changed his mind. So you have to respect his mindset for what he was trying to do for the Warriors. 
Bradley Beal's still unvaccinated. Jonathan Isaac's still unvaccinated. There's a ton of guys that are unvaccinated, just like there's a ton of people that are unvaccinated. But what Kyrie has said is, hey, I'm standing my ground. This is my beliefs. And that's it. And people need to respect that. It's not about hating or disliking, not liking, hate, you know, I like him, I don't like It doesn't matter with that. You just, you still have to, at the end of the day, respect that man's decision. He's lost a ton of money. He hasn't really, he hasn't done anything that was like, I mean, that's malicious or anything like that. He's making a choice, a personal choice, not to be vaccinated. So it has nothing to do with the net. KD, KD is one of his closest friends. And so to me, it's not about that. It's, you know, how come nobody's saying to themselves, okay, well, why did the Nets change their mind? Yeah. You know, no, they no, that's... Coming, hey, you can't be a full-time player. We don't want you here. And then all of a sudden they backtrack. So now that's, to me, that's a bigger issue or a bigger thing to be talking about than Kyrie, the singular Kyrie Irving. Holden Polonese is our guest, the former 15-year NBA big man, great NBA insider. So the other night, Monday Night Football, you're in L.A., you know the Rams won. They were dominant against Arizona, and they show a shot in the booth or in the suite of Paul George and Kawhi. They said, wow, that's interesting. They're not playing. They don't play for the Clippers. They're both injured, but they're allowed out. You're allowed to go get sushi. You can go to a game. You take a limo. So, Holden, I looked and I went and I double-checked it twice. Uh, Paul George makes 546000 a game. Let me repeat, 546000 a game, not, not every other game or, or a week. And, again, you know, look, you're injured. You can do whatever you want. Go to a movie. Do other things there. What's the look like when Paul George is standing up on Monday Night Football in the playoffs, missing time injured, making a half a million bucks a game? Hey. That's the that's where we are right now. Yes. And it's sad because now that I'm not playing anymore, I'm I'm a fan, and it, it's sad. It saddens me to see this because, you know, he looked comfortable eating the food, and yes. I think it was an elbow injury, so he was fine moving it around. But um, it is what it is. This is the era we're in right now. You know, guys are getting paid exorbitant amounts of money. And uh, and we've been saying this for a while, and it, it's for less work. And so, but it's a great job if you can get it. Oh, it's <laughs> it incredible! Really and, and the legends you played with, and at the level you played at for the money. Uh-oh. And you told me when you made your first million, and how big that is. And now you look at this amount of money; it's it's incredible. But what you can make, what you can make. Hey, finally. As we wrap this up, I'm looking at the standings here, and Clay's come back, and it's just great to see Clay. Two-part question. They're three games back of the Suns. Do you think with Clay they'll catch the Suns, or you just think the Suns are that good? And what went through your mind? You know Michael, you know Thompson. You know Clay. When you saw him come back and start burying threes after all that time rehabbing, what'd you think? Can I tell you something, JT? I I had chills. I had tears in my eyes because I love this young man. You know, like you say, I know his dad, and I, it's just. It was an amazing, amazing moment. It was, oh, it was surreal because we've been waiting for this for so long. And that introduction gave me chills. Now, I'll tell you this in regards to Warriors. The last thing Steve Kerr or anybody else, Bob Myers, are concerned about 
is their standing right now. They're not worried about whether they finish first, second, third, or whatever. They just want to make sure that their team is clicking at the end of the season. And, you know, they they back three games. Draymond hasn't even played since Clay came back. And so, to me, you know, once they get their full team, they get Weissman, you know, incorporated into everything, that's the Warriors are the team to beat for the title. You really so you think that does do you like the matchup against Phoenix in the Western Conference semis or the finals wherever they end up? I love it now with Clay back. As long as he stays healthy, that's my team because I just believe that he adds that extra component and when Wiseman comes back, gives him some more size. Now you can like play Looney, you know, a little bit less because, you know, he's getting a ton of minutes playing against bigger guys. And so I think that will help him out also. I really, like I said, and you know the engine that keeps the team running, Steph Curry, as long as they keep him healthy, you always got to have them in the mix. Always. Good to talk to you, Alden. We'll do it again. Thanks so much for your time. All the best. My man, you take care. You take care too. The great Alden Polonese. How good is that? A quick run around the NBA as we will continue to do that here on my midday show because NBA, now after football, we slide into it. The problem is the Lakers are a mess. They're a non-playoff team, a borderline team. They might have to break it down, and that's going to be a big story because, as you know, you're going to see the debate shows and everybody constantly talk about the Lakers the way Skip Bayless constantly talks about the Cowboys, and the Lakers aren't any good. So who, who are we going to talk about, the Suns and the Warriors? The Warriors can move the needle. But without the Lakers contending, that's a big blow to the NBA. And LeBron's got to step up now, and LeBron's got to figure out if he wants to keep Frank Vogel or not. He just can't hide in the background. He's the king. He's LeBron James. He makes all the decisions, just like Tom Brady does for the Buccaneers. We know that. Brady runs the Bucs. LeBron runs the Lakers. You don't make a decision with players or coaches without running it by those guys. Howard Balzer, the Hall of Fame voter. Coming up next, we'll go around the NFL, take a look at the moving lines. And these games coming up Saturday and Sunday, the divisional playoffs. This is Raider Nation Radio. Yeah, I always hear that to different degrees about getting penalties and so forth and roughing the passers. And I think that speaks to it because they say that and I'm always in my mind going, I don't remember the last time I got a roughing the passer. We should look that up, you know, over the last whatever, 10 years, who's got the most roughing the passer penalties. I hope it's not me because then I just, you know, put my foot in my mouth, but I don't feel like I get them as much as people may think that I get them. I do know that they probably let me get away with a lot of uh, unsportsmanlike conducts, you know, talking smack to the other team and talking smack to the refs when I don't think I get the right call. I'm kind of a pain in their ass if you don't already know that. It's Tom Brady on Let's Go on Sirius XM. JT back with you as we continue on. Always a pleasure to welcome in my friend Howard Balzer, the Hall of Fame voter, all the radio that he does, the Hall of Fame radio show on Sirius XM. Also, he covers the Cardinals for SI.com. And, Howard, I see you covering a lot of ASU. You know, I have a freshman at ASU, and I'm paying out-of-state tuition, so I feel like I'm very invested in that football program. <laughs> yeah, I've been overseeing the Arizona State uh, site with some 
uh, some other guys who do most of the heavy lifting there. Uh, but yeah, that's been been fun getting involved with that a little bit. Uh, this you know, starting with this past season. Uh, let's jump in with the Cardinals, a team you cover, and the disappointment down the stretch. You want to play your best football down the stretch. They've had injuries. J.J. Watt came back for the last game, and Kyler Murray looked off clearly in L.A., and that's a compliment. What was the problem there, the offensive line? He didn't have a lot of time in the pocket, especially when he was backed up in his own end zone. No, exactly right, and I think that when you look at everything, you know, everyone's acting like there's this big mystery. Well, why did the Cardinals not – not play as well down the stretch as they did in that first seven games when they were seven zero, and then they were ten and two. Well, because they weren't, they didn't have the same players on the field that they did back then. When they had JJ Watt for the first seven games, when they had DeAndre Hopkins, when they had James Conner and Chase Edmonds playing together, and they didn't have to rely on one or the other down the stretch, they only played one game together, and both those guys were compromised by ribs injuries on Monday night. And I wonder if they would have even played had it been a regular season game. So you put all those things in there and offensive line, you mentioned that I think that kind of wore down by the end of the year, because they had had a whole bunch of injuries and were constantly revolving, you know, shuffling players at different spots. And even Justin Pugh all of a sudden came, he had missed some games earlier, JT, you know, several weeks ago, he missed a few games with a calf injury. And suddenly last week on practice on Thursday or Friday, he injured the calf again. So he was playing injured. So uh, Murray was under siege. He was under siege even more the week before against Seattle. And it just really hamstrung what they could, you know, what they could do on offense. Did he lose his cool at times? Yeah, a little bit. Never should have thrown that ball in the end zone that he did. Mm -hmm. But I think he was just a frustrated guy. And I don't know how much it would have mattered because they were just overwhelmed and dominated by that Rams defense. Howard Balzer's our guest. Cliff Kingsbury, how hot is the seat? Because I know a lot of fans who want to move on. they just rather have someone better, but there's no one I'm seeing noticeably better. It's the same heat that Mike McCarthy's getting in Dallas right. now that people are looking at him specifically in that game, and the heat's on. What did Cl- I thought Kingsbury was great in the postgame. He tipped his cap to the Rams and talked about the growth and being inexperienced, but what's the heat like in the desert? Well, the heat is, you know, the heat is, it's very hot on the outside, but I don't believe it is as much on the inside. And there's not a lot of perspective we know in the way things are looked at by fans and even some media from time to time. But this is a team under Cliff Kingsbury with Kyler Murray as starting as a rookie in 2019 that has improved by three wins every year from five to eight to now 11 and in the postseason. And so I think that when you look at the big picture, you see that there's some good things in place. They need work. They need, there's work to do in the off season. No doubt about it, but everyone always wants to blame the coach JT. You know what, you know, what's ironic about it. You mentioned Mike McCarthy and he gets under fire for that play at the end of the game, which was clearly not, not a wrong call in terms mm-hmm. of the play call, but it was poorly executed by Dak Prescott on that play. And yet McCarthy gets blamed and the offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore, is being interviewed for head coaching jobs. And he was just as much a part of it as anyone else. And so it's always interesting to me how people on the outside always want to blame the play caller or blame the coach. And they just don't look at what happened to a team or how a game plan is put together. And I'll just make this one quick point. I've said this many times. And this you always happens. 
fan, when a team isn't playing well, especially on offense, fans say, fire the coordinator, fire the coach, fire this guy, whatever it is. And then if one of them gets fired, what's the first thing those fans say? Well, now it's time to improve the personnel. Well, no kidding. Most of the time, teams don't win because their personnel isn't as good as other teams. And that's lost, I think, in a lot of these debates and, and emotional responses that there are to uh, poor performances. Howard Balzer joins us. So the team the Cardinals lost to the Rams. Really interesting that Stafford only attempted 17 passes. He was 13 to 17, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Sony Michelle and Cam Akers combined for 113 yards, 58 for Michelle, 55 really hard yards for Akers. So is that the philosophy going into Tampa, or you got to think that Stafford's going to throw it 30 times if Brady wants to get in a shootout? Well, you know, it all depends on the flow of the game and how does the game go. I mean, the Cardinals were um, the Rams were up twenty-one nothing fairly quickly in this game, so there was no need for them to throw the ball a lot, especially when the running game is working. And I like the way you referred to Cam Akers with those hard yards because he ran like a man possessed. I mean, that was a pretty incredible performance considering that he had done very not, virtually nothing all year except brief in the final game after tearing his Achilles prior to the start of training camp. I think he's the wild card for this game against the Buccaneers. So when a team throws a lot, normally it's either because they're behind or the running game isn't working. But when the running game's working and you have a lead, why should you throw the ball more? So that's going to be interesting to see the way this game develops against the Buccaneers and, and how the Rams defense. I mean, the Buccaneers have you know two guys that are banged up on the offensive line. And so – this, this Rams defense, when it comes at you, they were able, because of the way they played up front, they were able to mask the fact that they didn't have their two starting safeties out there because they stopped the run and they got so much pressure on the pass. And if they can do that against Tampa Bay, then it could be a long, you know, a long day for Tom Brady in that offense. Howard Balzer is our guest, the Hall of Fame voter, the great NFL insider, SI.com. So I went back and watched the Niner game. I've been saying that, and I'm impressed with the Niners' defensive philosophy and scheme and what they did against Dallas. But this isn't Dallas. This is Green Bay, where Rodgers is much more mobile outside the pocket, and Devontae Adams can make every play. They can do a little bit more than I believe Dallas can, but not that much more. Do you give the Niners a fighting chance with some of those players that got banged up in the Dallas game now got to travel to Lambeau? That's the key, those injured players. Fred Warner one of the better linebackers in the league. Obviously, Nick Bosa, we know how good he is on the defensive line. They need those guys to be able to at least try to control that Green Bay offense. The other thing the 49ers do, though, doesn't matter who they put in the backfield. It doesn't matter if it's Debo Samuel. doesn't matter if it's Jeff Wilson. doesn't matter if it's Elijah Mitchell. Past years, it didn't matter if it was Raheem Mostert. They just run the ball very well. And if they can do that against the, uh, the Packers, then they can control the flow of the rhythm of the game, control the flow of the game, potentially keep the Packers' offense off the field, which certainly would be the goal. So, yeah, I think they do have a fighting chance, but those things have to go right for them, and Jimmy Garoppolo has to play mistake-free football. But like the Rams were talking about not having to throw it a lot, if they don't have to throw it a whole lot, then that means they're running the ball well, and that gives them, like you, like you uh, termed it, a fighting chance in this game. Howard, I know you as being a long-term football guy and all the history you have, you've got to love this Bills-Kansas City game. I mean, two quarterbacks coming off five touchdowns, that's never happened before. There's a payback philosophy for the Bills losing last year in the playoffs. Mahomes was 
I thought Kansas City was very inconsistent and sloppy throughout the course of the year, but then they got it right and they're peaking at the right time. It feels like the AFC Championship game a week early. No, it's a great point. It's definitely These two teams definitely look like the best the AFC has to offer right now, and hopefully the game will live up to that, and it'll probably come down to which, which defense can come up with the most stops. And, you know, Chiefs defense has played a lot better in the second half of the season. Uh, Bill's defense has been uh, pretty good. And, obviously, uh, the Chiefs have to contend with Josh Allen uh, running, running with the ball, certainly. I, I think one of the wild cards in that game, X-Factor, whatever you want to call it, is Devin Singletary. Because the one mm-hmm. thing I've said about the Bills throughout uh, even entering the season, much less going through it, is they still do, they don't have that, uh, that threat with a running back. And Singletary's played well down the stretch. He had 81 yards uh, last week and got some tough yards. So if, if, if they can use that to balance that offense against that Chiefs defense, then they're, they're going to be dangerous. And so that's why I say, though, obviously we know how dangerous the Chiefs offense is. And it'll, it'll probably, like I said, it'll probably come down to does, does one of the teams make a turnover or what defense stops the other the most. And that will probably end up being the, uh, the deciding factor in this game. Cincinnati-Tennessee doesn't have the feel of a big, big game, but of course it is. It's a divisional playoff game. Cincinnati got that gorilla off their back and won their first playoff game since the 90s, and the Titans fought hard. That that five-week run when they had that schedule and they beat the best teams in football, lost Derrick Henry, then came back and secured that one seed. That's their reward for fighting for that one seed and having it over Kansas City and Buffalo and getting a home game with Derrick Henry coming back. Do you like Tennessee big in this game, or do you think Cincinnati and Burrow are due for another big passing game? I don't know if they'll have a big passing game, but it's hard It's hard to keep them down. So, you know, certainly Tennessee has a good chance of winning. We'll find out maybe tomorrow or closer to game time whether Derrick Henry will play, what shape he'll be in, how productive he can be certainly is a big question. Certainly Titans are, are capable of winning. I don't think they'll win big unless Cincinnati just makes a lot of mistakes on offense because they've got a lot of weapons with Jamar Chase and T Higgins and Tyler Borden, uh, Tyler Boyd rather, and Joe Mixon can run the football. So this, this team is playing poised with a lot of guys who haven't been there uh, before, but you know, it was still a tough game uh, last week. And, you know, the Raiders had that chance at the end to potentially tie it. So I think they can give the Titans all they can handle. uh, But again, it'll come down to playing smart. Don't try to make, you know, don't try to score two touchdowns on one play. Just be smart about it. But Mike Vrabel is a very good coach. And, you know, you mentioned them. You know, they, had a, they had one stretch where they were being – everyone was up, they're done. You know, they lost to Houston. They lost bad to New England. And then they fell behind in a Thursday night game to the 49ers, 17 to nothing. And if they had lost that game, who knows where this team would be right now. But they came from behind. And afterward, Vrabel, JT, had a great quote. He said something to the effect of, you know, our funeral was either today or yesterday. But we're not dead yet. And he proved that they weren't getting that number one seed, like you said. Now, now they're, you know, now they're challenged and and to, to be able to protect it and to make it work for them. I don't know if the home field will matter all that much because, like I said, this Bengals team with Joe Burrow is very poised and professional, and so I think they, I think they've got a shot. I really do. I think they got a shot, but that offense has to put has to certainly you can say this about any team, but they obviously have to, you know, not make the moment too big and play mistake free football. 
All right, Howard, last one. You were in that final Hall of Fame meeting. You know, we're big. I'm a big Cliff Branch guy. He was a great personal friend of mine. And we look at the senior finalist and the finalist for the Hall of Fame with the players who have just recently been out. And again, that is a double secret probation meeting. I would never ask you <laughs> for any details. But when you go into that meeting for the last time and, and you see that before you get to the Super Bowl and what's going to happen next, I mean, do you pinch yourself with your colleagues there talking legacy, knowing how important it is, knowing how tough these decisions are, and you're in that room helping out with those decisions? What's that like? Oh, it, 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 is, it is humbling, and I always use that word because there are some who question, us. hey, you know, nothing is perfect. I mean, everyone's got their opinion. Why isn't this guy in? Why isn't that guy? But anyone who, who, who criticizes or challenges our devotion to this, our passion for it, uh, the preparation that goes in for the meeting. I mean, here we have, you know, the meetings that last anywhere from seven to nine hours, and there's 18 presentations, the modern-day players, along with the coach and the contributor and the, and the senior guy. And I'm always, I, I guess I'm not saying amazed, but I'm just always impressed by all the preparation that everybody does, but especially those who are speaking up for players. And I'll tell you something, JT, by the end of the meeting, I mean, I characterize it this way. You get through the first five, first five presentations and you go, man, these guys look, they've got a heck of a shot. This might be the class, but you know, there's 10 more coming. Then after the next five, you're going, oh my goodness, this is real. This is as hard as it ever is. And I'm telling you, when you sit there and make that decision to cut from 15 to 10 and then from 10 to five, you realize, we, we all realize how life-changing this is for people. And, and everyone takes it ultra-seriously. And like I said, the preparation, I'm always impressed by everybody in there. And, and those that make presentations for players, they, they pull out all the stops, with whether it's their own thoughts, thoughts with others, people who have played against these guys, coached against these guys. You know, we're, we're, I think there's some people think we're just shooting from our hip and just talking about it. No, it, it's not that at all. There's tremendous preparation, and I always, I'm glad you asked, because I always like to talk about that, because I think of some of the perceptions of what happens in that room, that, and if, if anyone saw it, they would realize how totally off a lot of those perceptions are. Thank you, my friend. We'll catch up before the Super Bowl. Always appreciate your time. Sounds good, JP. Take care. Howard Balzer, Hall of Fame voter, highly connected football historian, and in the room, for the Hall of Fame, and as a fan, as a fan, not a radio host, and with the Raiders, I consider myself as a fan a Hall of Fame historian. I got to know Jim Brown. Five years, I had an exclusive with Jim Brown on my radio show. I've been to the Hall of Fame many times. I've emceed events there. I love the Hall of Fame. It's important to me as a fan. And now to get a chance to cover the Hall of Fame with the Raiders and to see who's getting in or not, you know, you get a chance. Eric Allen is a semifinalist two years in a row. And Eric Allen is very worthy for the Hall of Fame, and he hasn't gotten in. So I'm invested with that topic. Cliff Branch, as we talked about. I mean, can you imagine if Cliff was alive, all three rings on his hands? He liked to wear all three rings and walking in there with a pinstripe suit to his party and the music pumping, and there's Rod Martin in the corner and Ted Hendricks in another corner and Coach Flores, Mark Davis, all of Cliff's friends. Well, Cliff's not alive, but his family is, and they want to, be, they want to have that moment. We need that moment for Cliff. It's not closure for Cliff. It's opening a whole new chapter of his legacy. 
And for those who say Jim Plunkett, absolutely. Lester Hayes, uh, Dave Dalby, the legends that have played for the Raiders who are on the outside. Phil Villapiano had a hell of a career. Some of these gentlemen will not be Hall of Famers, but they deserve the consideration. They deserve the consideration. And the only senior football player finalist is Cliff Branch. That's it. Him and Dick Vermeil. Does Dick Vermeil deserve Hall of Fame status? Yes. His whole life was, was into football. But Cliff Branch, do you know what Cliff Branch did to Dick Vermeil and his staff in the Super Bowl? Go look it up. It's all about Cliff. All about Cliff, and he deserves it. And that could be a huge celebration for all of us. I hope to have the opportunity to do a big show celebrating Cliff Branch's induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame on the flagship. I mean, I think that's the thing that hurts most about losing is um, the uncertainty, you know what I'm saying, in the locker room. You don't know who's going to be back. You don't know what coach is going to be back. Um, so every day we kind of try, just try to cherish the moments with each other. And, I mean, like with all the adversity that we, we've been through, we all definitely came tighter and, and, and closer. Um, so, I mean, when I seen the guy's face after the game in the locker room, and um, that's the thing that kind of hit home for me. Josh Jacobs, I like what we saw from Josh Jacobs down the stretch, didn't everybody? How hard he was running after contact, the leadership of Josh Jacobs, the way he ran, and and what he did at the end of the year. He did. He played hard. He was counted on to be an impact running back, and he was uh, the last few games of the season. And I don't know where he is with the long-term plan and his contract going forward, considering how easily you can get running backs later on later on in the draft but you don't get many later on like Josh Jacobs very important piece to the Raiders if they want to keep the stability coming into next year and just run the ball and pick up first downs but remember as I told you all year all year I thought we were very consistent on this show throughout the regular season and have been told that by the listeners about attacking with the offense I wanted more attacking I want the GM I want those meetings when he gets in there to be the Raiders are going to be more of an attacking team. And they're not going to be slow on offense. They're not going to take their time. They're not going to be nonchalant with the clock. They're going to play more up-tempo, more no-huddle, because I think it's a strength of the team. And we didn't see it. We didn't see it enough. We only saw it at the end of the half and at the end of the game. And I'd like to see that more. Remember, Tom Brady opened up the playoffs last week in the wild-card round no-huddle. 44-year-old Tom Brady opened up the game in the no huddle. Why? Because he's great, and he puts the other team on their heels. Derek Carr is good enough to put other teams on their heels. He can do that. Uh, let's get out to Raider, um, Raider in Florida, I believe. 0-2 in Florida. Go ahead. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Good. Okay, I have a question for you. I would rather you have. I would rather you have a statement. I have all the answers. I don't like question and answer radio. It's killing the format. You called me. Give me something. Well, my my whole thing is, you know, a lot of people say Derek Carr is like you just said was good enough, but to me, I think we should just use him as trade bait because okay. you know it, it, it's it's to the point to where now it, he doesn't play his time. His time is up. We have a new general manager coming in. So why why we why should we even 
think a new general manager and a new head coach with old clothing and and I think it's just time for a change. You know, whether it's well, the offense, defense, we, we just need some new players. Yeah, well, that's what you believe. I uh, appreciate it, and that's why you got a flagship and a phone number to call into. That's just that's an opinion. What you want to do? You want to move on from the quarterback? You want someone else? The only way you move on from Derek Carr is if you get someone better than him, and and it would have to be much better than him. And that is going to be a discussion until he is locked up to a long-term deal. But again, take this and piece it in case Derek's listening on the golf course. We like Derek. I never get involved in his contract or money. It's none of my business. It's going to all play out here with the new GM coming up. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Always appreciate you.